Hi, this is Marjolyn here. I wanted to give you all a quick update. This is a podcast that I recorded with Dr. Cheryl Murphy on the afternoon of March 17th. And by the morning of March 18th, new news had already sort of superseded some of what we were talking about uh, regarding the coronavirus. So please note that this is not uh, intended as advice or guidance on how to uh, keep your office open or not. Uh, A good a good resource for ODs is aoa.org forward slash coronavirus. And this is a, a point in time podcast where we were talking about uh, strategies that, that uh, Dr. Murphy and uh, her colleagues were starting to take. Thanks. Welcome. We're here with Dr. Cheryl Murphy from Suffolk County, uh, Long Island. Um, right outside of New York City, where the coronavirus uh, updates are coming fast and furious, as they are in in so many parts of the country. Um, The mayor of New York City is declaring a possible shelter in place today, and um, these these unprecedented times for everyone is, uh, are certainly creating unprecedented times for optometrists as well. Welcome, Dr. Murphy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So did you open your office today? Uh, I am not an owner of a practice. I'm an employed optometrist. But yes, uh, the, the practice is open today. And how normal was it? Uh, well, I worked there yesterday and... Um, in the beginning of the day, we had a full book. As the day went on, we did have some no-shows and cancellation, and we ended up um, closing a little early in the evening. That's after Governor Cuomo gave his 8 p.m. curfew order. Um, mm-hmm. I think once that went into, you know, I think once that was announced, everyone started to kind of head home and not make any evening plans. So uh, what I would have normally worked 9 to 7, I worked more like 9 to 5.45 or something like that yesterday. Yeah. And um, is is the level of, of stress or anxiety uh, palpable in, inside the office among the doctors, among the staff? I think I'd be lying if I said no. I think, like you said, we're in uncharted waters and this is so unprecedented and it's something that you know, we've read about and we've taken infectious disease courses on, you know, and on a regular basis. And, but it's not something we really ever thought we would have to deal with this type of pandemic and this type of uh, a contagious virus going along. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think all the doctors, all the optometrists are, you know, for the most part, putting on brave faces and trying to serve our patients and communities, um, keeping things as normal as possible, while putting in a lot of extra cleaning and sanitization procedures to try to keep everyone safe. So tell me a little bit about these sanitization processes that that you're doing and and how they're, um, I mean, obviously they're serving a a clear public health interest, but it's also nice to to be feeling like you're doing something, I think. Absolutely. And protecting yourself, you know, from from getting infected and bringing it home uh, to your families and out into the community. Um, so a couple of things I did yesterday that was different than, you know, how I was practicing last week was uh, for the first time in a long time, I, I broke out my white lab coat um, mm-hmm. with the long sleeves and I actually wore that into the practice 
Um, you know, there's been many studies out there that show that lab coats can actually, you know, harbor germs and viruses. But if you look closely at those studies, um, the higher percentages of uh, of viruses and germs that were being harbored were on coats of doctors that were washing them or sanitizing them very infrequently. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to just have like an extra barrier between my street clothes, if you will, or my dress clothes and the patient and the office. That way, um, you know, when I go out to lunch, for example, I can take my white lab coat off and you know, go out to lunch to, you know, Panera Bread or wherever with my street clothes on and not feel like I may be, you know, carrying a virus along with me as an unwelcomed lunch guest there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, we don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. And then when uh, I got, when I got home, I, you know, when I, it's time to leave, I, uh, took the lab coat, you know, turned it inside out, put it in a plastic bag, brought it home and immediately, you know, put it into the wash, um, along with the rest of the clothes that I wore that day. So uh, I've been trying to pick out dress cl- clothes that can be washed instead of things that, you know, need to be dry cleaned, like I might usually fine. wear. Yeah. Right. So right. that was one of the steps I took was the old white lab coat. Um, another thing was for the last three years, I've been kind of on a contact lens kick. I've been wearing my contacts a lot more than my glasses. Um, but Uh, yesterday I put my glasses back on just to give myself a little bit of an extra shield or barrier um, Mm -hmm. between my eyes and, you know, my conjunctiva, the whites of my eyes and any, you know, breath or cough or sneeze that might be expelling, you know, virus particles towards me. So it's not as good as an official eye shield, but um, it certainly gives me a little bit more of a, you know, a, a, a wall or something blocking you know, my eyes, because they have shown that the virus can pass through the conjunctiva if it, you know, floats through the air and and hits the conjunctiva. So um, that was a change I made. Also, hair was pulled back, you know, Mm -hmm. no elaborate hairstyles. And, um, you know, I wore gloves during any physical contact with the patient, even when I was holding the 78 and 9 day diopter lens um, in front of the patient's face when I was doing slit lamp. You know, we're Mm -hmm. getting very close to their face. We're not touching them, but we're getting very close. So I had gloves on for that. Um, You know, and I, I was joking with my staff that after each patient left, you know, not only was I wiping the exam chair with alcohol each time, but I was kind of doing um, air guitar circles of Lysol, you know, <laughs> pretending I was a rock star for a minute or two there while, uh, you know, just to get a little bit of uh, uh, protection, you know, in the air that way. Um, uh-huh. So those were the major differences. It, you know, it does take some time in between each patient. I did make people wait, um, you know, while one patient left before the next one came in to do that. Um, right. You know, and of course, I did all of the normal stuff, wiping with alcohol, um, you know, the feropter, the slit lamp, the tono tip and everything else that we normally do during, um, you know, in between patients, as well as hand washing, you know, hand washing is a must. Th- those Lysol particles are still floating down. Yeah, they? I know. I was uh, I was joking around at one point. I was like, I feel like I can taste Lysol. I was like, when you can taste Lysol, you've sprayed too much. But uh, <laughs> they do kind of float. They don't necessarily sink very quickly into the air. So not too many circles. or too, You don't need to spray too much of that. That's for sure. Now, do you think patients appreciate that you're putting on gloves when you're near their when your hands are near their faces? I think it's definitely a difference that they notice. 
because, uh-huh. you know, for me, I've been practicing almost 16 years. That's not anything I've ever done. Um, I know some doctors put on gloves when they do binocular indirect ophthalmoscopy, you know, ophthalmoscopy, and they're using the 20 diopter lens or the 2.2 panretinal. But, you know, I had always just washed my hands and then touched the patient directly when I had to steady my lens um, by touching their forehead, you know, with my other fingers. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, you know, I did uh, dilate yesterday and I did, you know, I was cautious to glove up and, of course, take the gloves off the correct way. Um, I went some through some infectious training when I candy striped in the ER when I was, you know, 16 years old. So I remember some of the steps from way back when as far as removing gloves and hand washing goes. But um, yeah, it's definitely a time where we all have to put those things into practice and and think, you know, how can we protect ourselves? How can we keep our patients and our community safe? You know, we don't want to be the office that caused an outbreak in a community, obviously, that, you know, that would... That would devastate us to and break our hearts to know that. So anything we can do. We also took it outside of the exam room, um, mm-hmm. and we were cleaning the optical with alcohol, right. wiping down all of the tables and chairs. Um, you know, we threw out magazines in the waiting room. We basically removed, you know, a lot of things from the waiting room. Um, oh. We actually took the toys away. We have a little section of kids' toys. We took that away for now. Um, I know that some optometrists have beverage stations in their waiting rooms. We don't, but I know that some of uh, the doctors, my friends and colleagues, they offer, you know, Keurig coffees and things like that to their patients. That's something I think we all should consider definitely taking away for the time being, um, you know, in, in addition to, you know, sanitizing the area. And another issue that was brought up was like disinfecting of the frames, because mm-hmm. now we have people coming into the optical trying on all the frames. You know, we have to make sure those frames are disinfected. And also, you know, a question came up, should we start asking patients to wash their hands before trying on frames? I mean, right. this is the world we're currently living in. You know, we never thought we would have to ask things like this. But in order to keep each other safe, we might have to. Is is there an urgency among patients to say, uh-oh, if my doctor's office closes, I need to go get my new glasses or get my contact lenses reordered? I mean, are you getting kind of a a, a rush of panic patients? Not really, but I have been more lenient with some rules um, as far as that goes compared to how I usually am. You know, with contact lens follow-ups, I like to usually make sure I see patients, you know, wearing the lens for a wear time of two hours or more before they, I finalize their prescription. So I'm almost always having people come back, you know, the next week for that quick little follow-up visit. But I've kind of waved to that at this point. I've just said, call if all is okay. Call if it isn't okay. Um, we've allowed people to reorder their contact lenses, giving them a little more leeway time, knowing that they might not want to come in right now for that contact lens reevaluation. Um, as far as other things with contacts go, I did... I did actually turn away a patient on Monday who wanted to be a new wearer for contact lenses because they needed insertion and removal training, um, you know, which would just require the patient and the staff member training them to touch their face so many times while learning insertion and removal. Um, mm-hmm. I figured it would be best to sort of postpone that for right now. And they, the patient actually understood they had no problem with that. And they're coming back in three weeks. They already scheduled it to, you know, get that taken care of maybe in a less tumultuous time. Interesting. I wonder, you know, do you employ things like videos and, and uh, I mean, are, are there ways, 
obviously you can't outsource the entire um, INR training, but are are there ways that you can shorten the the patient's learning curve? It, I, there are a lot of good videos out online. There are also a lot of bad videos out online. So I guess, you know, use your YouTube carefully when selecting, you know, the source of who's teaching, you know, a contact lens insertion and removal video. Um, but it is something we could definitely have patients watch, you know, so that way when they come in and return in person for the insertion and removal training, you know, they're that much more aware of things like lid posture and, um, you know, different techniques that they need to do as well as, um, you know, how to clean and store the lenses and all those basic tips of contact lens wear and use. It's a, it's a good idea you brought up. Well, and it's, it's interesting because, um, I mean, I know that, that we have some un, un, unspecified and unimaginable amount of time between where we are and, and where this is uh, behind us. But, um, well, first of all, things are, are unfolding fast there. You've got, uh, as of uh, here on, on March 17th, you've got 130 plus confirmed cases of coronavirus in Nassau County and another 80 uh, which is next door, and another mm-hmm. eight confirmed cases where you are in in Suffolk County. Yeah, um, those numbers seem to go up, They're rising by the day. Yeah, yeah, and uh, in in sort of a scary, uh, <laughs> scary. Yeah, curve. yeah, it's exponential. It's it's be- so that's why all, you hear all of these doctors and scientists and even Governor Cuomo of New York talking about you know how do we flatten the curve? How do we make the number of confirmed cases slightly lower so that our healthcare system, you know, will have the means of of treating people that are you know just hit very hard with the virus. Um, so it's not about necessarily avoiding the virus altogether, although that would be ideal. You know, that's what we would all dream of. That's the dream case scenario. But it's about how do we sort of slow down the number of cases and not have everything happen all at once. And and are you rescheduling, I'm, rethinking your schedule book? Uh, are you trying to make sure that there are fewer patients in the office at a time? Not as of right now, but due to the cancellations and no-shows being like slightly higher than normal, I think that has kind of done that for us already in some regard. I'm wondering whether some of these changes that are are kind of evolving now are going to end up staying with us. Um, You know, I mean, the idea of of cleaning frames before you put them back on the board. That of- would be not, that would, it seems like something we always should have thought of, right? Like now it's so, it's so, it seems so simple yet. It really, it doesn't really cross your mind until you're put into a situation like this. You know, obviously we've always had the regular, you know, flu and, and the risk of that and um, other, you know, illnesses that, that are contagious, but um, it could change optometry. You know, these is, this is the time for all those bright thinkers and inventors out there to kind of get together and make, you know, sort of those washing stations. I mean, we've all seen them at places like Vision Expo, um, where you kind of can put your glasses or your frames into a sort of, you know, almost like a eyeglass car wash and it, right. it sanitizes it and hits it with the right, you know, wavelength of light and the right temperature of water and it comes out. You know, it, it, th- those things sort of seemed like an extravagance in some ways, you know, for a practice to buy. But who knows? Maybe this will start to make things like that, you know, the new norm. 
I think that there is a, a sense of stress, obviously, among among um, optometrists, whether you're employed and counting on someone else, you know, for for your employment, or whether you're a business owner and and counting on the the success of your business and knowing that people are relying on you. Um, do you feel that stress? I do. You know, I think to myself, you know, if I do voluntarily you know, stop working, you know, as, you know, my employer so generously offered it, you know, me, if I felt uncomfortable, I could step back. Um, uh, but you, you think to yourself, wow, that's going to be two weeks plus of unexpected, um, you know, drop in income. Is, is that what, it re- what I really want to do? Am I overreacting? You know, there's a lot of second and third guessing yourself, I think, you know, because this is so unprecedented. And um, I think if we all just kind of keep talking to each other about it and watch the facts as they roll in, um, you know, we'll be able to make a well-informed decision about what each one of us should do based on the facts. But yeah, for these small businesses, I mean, it's it's got to be tough. They really haven't seen anything like this before. I think everyone wants to do the right thing. You know, no one wants to you know, get their employees or their patients sick, but also no one wants to be the person that takes away their paychecks for, you know, an undisclosed amount of time. So it really puts everyone in a, in a tough position. But um, optometrists, I think we're lucky in our profession overall. I think we're very good people, the majority of us. So um, like I said, I think if we just kind of band together and, you know, listen to direction of, you know, NYSOA and other, you know, state optometric associations, and of course, the AOA's recommendations, you know, we'll be able to get through this together. Things are unraveling on a state level. And, you know, people are looking at numbers and facts and trying to step up and lead and provide guidance as best they can. All right. And and certainly sometimes even on a local level, um, yeah. community level right so how do you stay grounded dr murphy you know that you mm. you, you have the the sort of the the, the tension of a of a work day and the the big thoughts that go with that and then um can can you relax when you get home um once i take a shower i can <laughs> that's another thing i started doing since since everything um you know, it happened yesterday. I, I put all those clothes in the wash and the white lab coat and I immediately showered. But yeah, I think once you get home, you know, if you watch a little bit of the news, but maybe not too, too much and you just, you know, do what you have to do to, you know, get a laugh or to relax a little bit. You know, I think that those moments are priceless and it renews you to go back into the next day and, and, you know, do what you have to do. All right. We have told patients if they're sick or if they've been exposed to anybody who has been sick or might possibly have tested positive, you know, to reschedule their appointment. And we've added signs to the exterior doors and to the door that you have to open right before our waiting room, you know, urging patients again, if you you know, have certain symptoms of fever, coughing, or shortness of breath, or have been exposed to someone who has tested positive, or if you've traveled, you know, please reschedule your appointment just as another layer to kind of, um, you know, keep the waiting room and others in it, you know, not, uh, not at risk. Right. Right. And I think, uh, there's, there's obviously there's the, the containment aspect of that. And there's also Mm -hmm. the, the reassurance aspect of that. Yeah. that, That are both important. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, people Great. don't people don't go to the doctor to get sick. Hopefully no. not. You know, they they expect to kind of especially with optometry. You know, we're not seeing um, patients for like a general practitioner would. So people expect to get in and out and you know not carry anything out with them. Let's just put it that way. Besides maybe a great new pair of glasses that that they'll carry out. <laughs> that would that would be good. Let's hope that that keeps happening. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Murphy, thank you so much for being part of WO Voices. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WO Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.